The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Several weeks ago, uh, my boys, my older boys, Corbin and Caleb, went over to a friend's house, and they watched the Lego movie. Any of you here seen the Lego movie? A lot of you. It's a good movie, isn't it? Well, after they saw the Lego movie, they came home and they raved about how great the Lego movie was, and which is, which is somewhat normal. But what was a little bit abnormal was that they said, we want to watch it again. Can we buy it? Can we rent it? Can we get it again? And, and so, you know, for a first week or so, we're like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. And, but they were, over a couple of weeks, persistent. You know, like the Bible tells us, be persistent. And so they were persistent. They kept saying, can we rent the Lego movie and watch it again? And so finally, after a couple weeks of this, we said, sure, we can rent the Lego movie. And so we rented it on a Friday and we had folks over for dinner. And so we put the kids upstairs and they were watching the Lego movie. And then on Sunday, Saturday, we were going to go return it. And they said, no, no, mom and dad, we want you to watch the Lego movie. And we didn't have time on Saturday. So on Sunday... We were driving up to Door County, and we watched the Lego movie on the way there and the way back. And it's a good movie. It's a movie about this ordinary Lego man, if there is such a thing. This ordinary Lego man named Emmett. Thank you. Named Emmett. And Emmett is extraordinarily ordinary. He has an ordinary apartment. He has an ordinary job. Uh, maybe the only thing extraordinary about him is he is overly optimistic about everything. He thinks everything is awesome. That's right. And, uh, but, but Emma is a very boring, ordinary guy until, of course, that one fateful day, right? This is how all the movies go. Emmett goes back to his work site, and he falls into this pit. And to make an extraordinarily long story short, Emmett is sent out on this mission to save Lego world. You know, as I thought about that movie, I was wondering why was this movie so impactful on my kids? Why is this movie so impactful on so many people? And I think it's the same reason that most of these adventure movies are so impactful, why we resonate with them so much. And it's because we have a God-given longing in our hearts to make our life count for something. We have a God-given longing in our hearts to live for a mission that is bigger than ourselves. We have a God-given longing in our hearts to be a part of the salvation and redemption of mankind. Today we see this in the book of Jonah. If you would, please open up to Jonah chapter 3. If you're in the Red Bible, it is page 774. If you're in the Children's Bible, it's page 1101. And just again to give a quick recap of the book of Jonah, God calls Jonah in chapter 1, verse 1, to go to the Ninevites and preach a message of repentance to them. Jonah doesn't want to do that, and so he flees from God in the opposite direction to Tarshish. God, through his grace, sends a storm. Jonah is thrown overboard to calm the storm. At the bottom of the ocean where he is near death, he cries out to God and God sends a fish to rescue Jonah. From the belly of the fish, which is what we looked at last week, Jonah ushers this this prayer of thanksgiving and repentance and devotion to the Lord. And that's where we're going to pick it up today. We're actually going to start in Jonah 2 verse 9 and then we'll read through 3, 5. And so back up just two verses, Jonah 2 verse 9. Jonah 
is saying this from the belly of the fish. He says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Let's pray. Lord God, we see your glorious mission of redemption here, Lord. God, we confess to our passivity to our distraction, to how we get caught up in all the things we have to do in life, that we forget that you have called us to a great and glorious mission, a mission greater than ourselves. Lord God, pray you would tune our hearts today to that mission and send us out to be your missionaries. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me ask this question. Why do you get out of bed in the morning? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? What is the purpose of your life? Why do you get out? What is is the thing that day that you say, this day is a day worth living? Is it simply to go to work, to earn money, to pay the bills so you can live in the house? And then you live in the house, so you have to go to work to pay the bills so you can live in the house? Is it just this perpetual cycle of trying to maintain or maybe living for the weekend? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? You know, maybe you have become cynical and callous to the thought that you can impact the world, that you can change the world. Maybe it's, in your experience, been like punching a brick wall. You punch it and you get hurt, but there's little change. No matter how cynical and how calloused you are, deep down inside, all of us long to be part of a greater mission, the mission of God and the mission of his redemption. And today we are reminded once again through this story of Jonah that we can be part of this great mission, that we can have an impact on the world through our efforts by the power of God. And so let's look at that here in the life of Jonah. I want to first look at God's messengers. Jonah is one of God's messengers. So are all of God's people. All of us are God's messengers. And what we see is so important of God's messengers is that they are repentant messengers. Jonah is vomited out by the fish. And then in verse 1, we read, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. Again, do you remember the first time the word of the Lord came to Jonah? Do you remember when the Lord came to Jonah in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, and then said to him, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And then Jonah rose and fled to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. The Lord God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Jonah responded 
by rebelling. The Lord could have given up on Jonah. The Lord could have said, I will let you flee to Tarshish and live in the apathy and missionless lifestyle that you want. But the Lord loved Jonah enough to pursue him, to woo him back to himself, to reclaim Jonah's heart's heart from the depth of the ocean. Jonah 2.9, we see Jonah's heart of repentance, his heart of rejoicing in the presence of the Lord. He says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice you, and I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The difference between the Jonah that was called in chapter 1 and the Jonah that was called in chapter 3 is monumental in difference. The Jonah in chapter 1 knew about repentance. He knew about the grace of God. He knew about the mercy of God. But the Jonah in chapter 3 had experienced the grace of God. He'd experienced the mercy of God. He experienced genuine repentance and the overwhelming, steadfast, unconditional love of God. The first Jonah was distant from God. The second Jonah was intimate with God, even from the belly of the fish. The difference between the two Jonas is staggering. The first Jonah simply wanted to preach repentance and grace. But the second Jonah experienced repentance and grace. Do you remember that commercial? I think it's from the early 2000s, maybe 90s. Hair Club for Men commercial. Do you remember that? And that the, the president, Cy, gets on the commercial, and he makes that confession. He says, I'm not only the hair club president, I'm also a client. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Why was this such an impactful message? I mean, I just remember us making fun of it, talking about it. You'd hear it everywhere you went. I'm not only the president, I'm also a client. You see, why this was so memorable is because Cy wasn't just saying, I'm selling this product because you need it and because it can transform your life. He says, I'm selling you this product because I use it and because it transformed my life. You see, the best proclaimers of repentance and the grace of God is not those who just understand other people need it, but the ones who understand that they need it. Has the coin of the gospel dropped in your life? You know, with vending machines, you put a coin in, and sometimes it gets stuck. And when it gets stuck, you can't get anything out of the vending machine until you pound it, pound it, pound it, and then the coin drops, right? It's the gospel, the goodness of Christ. The fact that you're a sinner, that you need to repent, but the grace and love and steadfast mercy of God is here for you. Is that merely an intellectual exercise for you, or has it dropped into your heart? Do you know it? Or have you experienced it? God calls us to be people that preach the grace of God publicly because we have experienced the grace of God personally, not just once, but time and time and time again. And this comes through the joy of repentance. And so God's messengers are to be repentant messengers, experiencing the grace and transformational mercy of God for themselves. But God's messengers are also to be recommissioned messengers. All of God's messengers are recommissioned messengers. 
Again, we saw in 2.10 that the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, a recommissioned time, and says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I will give you. When the fish vomited Jonah out, it was not the end of his story. It was not the end of God working Jonah and using Jonah. But it's the beginning of a better chapter of Jonah's life. You know, the Lord could have, again, just abandoned Jonah and let him flee away into a missionless, apathetic life. But God loved Jonah too much. And God wooed him back to himself and decided, I will recommission you and send you once again. I mean, this is an amazing thing. I mean, how crazy this is might not strike us, but this would be like taking a general in the military who has committed grand treason, bringing him to yourself and saying, okay, I'm going to send you back out. Now go win the war. This is what God is doing with Jonah. We have a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. I mean, we look, you know, in the sports world and we see the NBA and the NFL and MLB. And if they give a player a third chance, we call them weak. But when God gives us seven times 77 chances, an infinite number of chances, we call it grace because we need it. And he comes to us and he recommissions his messengers. We see this throughout scripture. God commissions Moses. Moses fails and he recommissions him. God commissions Abraham to go to the promised land. He stops partway. God recommissions him. Probably the most famous is the apostle Peter. After the Lord's Supper, we read in Matthew 14, Jesus said to him, you will all fall away from me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. What a bold statement. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the roaster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then you remember what happens. That great, big, scary, monstrous servant girl comes to Jonah and says, Weren't you with the Nazarene Jesus? No, 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 no. Not me. Two more times he denies Jesus, just as Jesus prophesied. It must have been so heartbreaking for Christ to see all of his disciples abandon him as he's going to the cross to die for them. And yet when Christ rose from the grave, before he ascended into heaven, he pursues Simon Peter and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And Jesus repeats this two more times. Three times Peter denied him. Three times Peter abandoned him. Three times Jesus restores him. Three times Jesus recommissions him. You see, all of us have failed. All of us have failed the mission of God that he has called us to. And yet his mercies are new every morning. Every morning we are called back into this great mission of God, a mission greater than us, to be part of his salvation, a redemption for the entire world. 
He does not cast us off like a naval destroyer. He doesn't decommission us. He recommissions us to go and be part of his great mission of redemption for the world. And so we see God's messengers are called to be repentant messengers. They are recommissioned messengers time and time and time again. So those are God's messengers. Now let's look at God's mission. Again, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. So here is Jonah, this small prophet from a small country far, far away. How alone he must have felt. And he's going into this big city. Here it says in verse 3, a great city. Verse 4, an exceedingly great city. It was probably the largest city in the Syrian Empire. It was the capital of the Syrian Empire. It had walls that were eight miles in circumference. And that may not seem like a lot to today, but in that day, that would have been enormous. It probably had about 120,000 people, maybe more. The walls were so thick that you could actually ride three chariots side by side through the walls of the, of the, uh, on top of the walls of the city. It had 15 colonnades, 15 pillars that were over 60 feet high. This was a city that would have been ominous to walk up to and to walk into. And not only was it a great city in that way, but it was also a ruthless city. I've shared with you some of the stories. More that I've heard is that when they would capture their enemies, they would cut off their noses to show that they have been defeated. They would take God's people and they would hang them from the wall. And so when you think of evangelism, Nineveh is not low-hanging fruit. (laughs) You're not looking at Nineveh and saying, those people are ready for God's message. Look at them. They're just crying out for it. And yet this is the place that God called Jonah to go. This is a preposterous mission. Again, it would be like God calling you or me to go into the heart of North Korea and say, repent, what you are doing displeases the Lord. Or to go into Nazi Germany in the midst of World War II and say, repent, this displeases the Lord. And yet Jonah does something absolutely amazing. He goes. Jonah is obedient to the calling of God because he has been transformed by the grace of God. Jonah goes. This is what God calls all of us to do when he calls us. He calls us to go. I was jogging around the trail at UWGB this past week, and there must have been a race or some sort because he had these signs up to encourage people. And one of the signs read this. It said, run happy, run grumpy, run speedy, run slow, run a little, Run a lot. Just run. When God calls us to his mission, he calls us to go. Whether we go happy or go grumpy or go speedy or go slow, we are called to go. And the Great Commission, God calls us to go to all the nations. But more importantly, he calls us in our going, in our daily life to go. And so he calls us to go with the message of his redemption to our family to our coworkers, to our neighborhood. He calls us to go to our city, to our world, with the message of God's grace. Sitting on the sidelines, 
is not a place of joy, although many times we think it is. If you enter into God's mission, it will cut your earning potential, probably. It will cut your free time. It will cut your rest. But anything is better than living an apathetic, self-absorbed, missionless life. And so God calls us into his great mission. Now, you may be here, and you may play the comparison game a lot. I think all of us do, where we say, you know what? I'm not as good as this person at sharing the word of God. I'm not as, I, I'm not as good at, at proclaiming the gospel as other people. I'm not as outgoing. I'm not as influential. I'm not as, as smooth as other people are. But you see, God doesn't call you to have any of those things. All God demands from you is you, that you would be faithful to go. You see, when we look at the mission that God calls us to, it is an overwhelming mission. It is a mission greater than ourselves. And yet we cannot go based on our own capacity, based on our own power. We must go looking to the capacity and power of God himself. My younger two kids, Carissa and Cooper, love going for bike rides. And often they say, Daddy, can we go for a bike ride? And they don't want to just go for a bike ride around the block. They want to go for a long bike ride. Because the way it works is on my bike, I have that seat behind me, you know, and Cooper sits on that seat. And then I have that that tag-along bike, and Carissa sits on that tag-along bike. And so when we go along, we look like we belong in the circus. But we're going down the street, and I'm pedaling, and then there's Cooper behind me, and then there's Carissa on that tandem seat. When they have this mission in mind, when they have this journey in mind, they're not thinking of their capacity. They're thinking of dad's capacity. Dad, let's, let's go all around UWGB. They're not thinking, hey, this is something I can do. God always calls us to missions bigger than ourselves. Always. You see in the book of Jonah, what does God do? God controls a storm. Can you do that? God trains a fish. Can you do that? God raises up a plant. Can you do that? The most amazing thing God does is he changes men's hearts. He does it with the sailors. He does it with Jonah. He does it with the Ninevites. None of us can do that. That is outside our capacity. That is outside our power. And so when we go on God's mission, we must not look to our own capabilities, but look to God's. And we just must be faithful to go and trust him. And so God calls us to go. There's this passage in 1 Corinthians 3 in which Paul reiterates this and summarizes it in a way that is so helpful to us. He says, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What then? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Isn't this so liberating to know that the God who sends us is the God who goes with us? The God that calls us in this great mission to proclaim the redemption of God is the God who is going to go before us. And transform the hearts of men. The God of angel armies is always on our side. 
And so we must go. We must be faithful to go, not looking to our own capacity, but to God's capacity to transform the hearts of men and women in your family, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, and in this city. Next, let's look at God's message. Again, verse 2, he says, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. I love this. And the first time that God commissions Jonah, he actually gives him a message to share. This time he says, you know what, Jonah, all I want you to focus on right now is going. That's all I want you to focus on. Go. And when you get there, I'll tell you what to say. And then verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I want you to see three things about this message. First off, let's look at the simplicity of this message. I mean, how silly is this? Jonah goes into, down to, goes into town and says, Hey, y'all, you know, yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I mean, that's such a simple message. Did Jonah expand on it? Maybe, but this is the simple message that God gave to Jonah. It's interesting, this week I saw there is a church out in Seattle, and they're having a sermon series called The Best Sermons Ever. And I don't know if the pastor's on sabbatical or what, but they're taking the best preachers from out the U.S., and they're bringing them in this summer so that they can preach their best sermons they've ever had. It's called The Best Sermons Ever. Jonah would not have been invited to that. For obvious reasons, I mean, he's, he's with Jesus. But, um, but the message was not that complicated. It was a simple message. And yet God used it powerfully. Jonah is a prophet. And in this book that is named after him, his prophecy totals five words in Hebrew. It's more in English, but five words in Hebrew. He simply says to them, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You know, we have a very simple message to share as well. Again, the Apostle Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We have a simple message to proclaim, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, could we talk about it for years on end? Absolutely. But it is a simple message. And you may fumble it. The words may not be very plausible or very well articulated, but it is the power of God through the Spirit of God that transforms hearts. We must be faithful to go and to share. Let's look at the substance of God's message here. The message that Jonah shares is the word of the Lord, is the message that the Lord himself has given to him, and it is a warning of judgment and repentance. These are things that are not popular in today's culture to talk about. They're not even popular to talk about in pulpits. It's much easier to talk about five ways to fix your marriage or five ways to fix your refrigerator. But don't talk about repentance. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about coming to the Lord and surrendering your life to him. Don't talk about the word of God as if it is authoritative. 
We read in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates. Excuse me. It penetrates even to divide soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Jonah's message was not an intellectual message. It was not a lengthy message. It was God's message. And that's what we should strive to share as well, unapologetically, with those that God calls us to go towards. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was one of the greatest preachers ever to live. And his conversion story is very interesting for being such a great preacher. He was in a church one Sunday, and the pastor wasn't there. And this uneducated man gets up to deliver the message. And his sermon text was simply, look unto me and be ye saved. And so the man talked about looking and how easy it is to look. And then how we are not just to look at anything, but we are to look Unto Jesus. And if we look unto Jesus, then we will be saved. His sermon was probably about 10 minutes. Don't expect that here. But his sermon was about 10 minutes. And then he looked at Spurgeon. And the Lord directed him to say to him, Young man, you look very miserable, and you always will be miserable. Miserable in this life, miserable in death. If you don't obey my text, but if you obey now, And look to Jesus. Young man, you will be saved. Look to Jesus. And he did. It wasn't a complex message. It was probably a fumbled message, but it was a simple message. And it was a message of God's word. We are called to be a blessing to this city. And we can be a blessing in many ways. But the greatest way is to hold forth the word of God. We have nothing better to say than what God says himself. Finally, I want to look at the success of the message. Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And then one of the most amazing verses in the entire Bible. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And the people of Nineveh believed God. This is the first great awakening What God does in the hearts and souls of men individually, he does for an entire city as they turn to him in repentance. And we'll look more about it next week, at it next week. But we see is that God doesn't only transform people. He transforms the entire city through this simple but faithful message. You know, it's interesting. I don't know what translation of the Bible you have, but in some translations, it says the people of Nineveh believed in God. But the more precise translation is the people of Nineveh but believed God. And so when they heard Jonah proclaiming God's message, they saw through Jonah and they heard God and they believed God. When the word of God is faithfully shared and preached and taught, the messenger fades into the distance and the message and the center of the message, God himself is exalted. One of the greatest joys in my ministry was when Lauren Marasha came to faith in Christ. And some of you know the story because you have been around, but we were preaching in Genesis chapter 38, which we called the naughty chapter, right? And, um, and in Genesis 38, a lot of commentators actually just skip this chapter because they think that it's, there's no use for it. And so they simply skip it. It's the story, if you're familiar, of Judah and Tamar. 
And, and at the end of the story, Tamar, who is his daughter-in-law, gets pregnant. And Judah wants to kill her because she committed adultery. And he's, he vows to kill her until he finds out that the child is his own. And then he says these words, she is more righteous than I. She is more righteous than I. Is this anybody's life verse? Guessing not. And yet it were these words, the very word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that transformed Lauren's heart. We're called to go and share the message and leave the victory up to God. All we are called to do is to go, to be faithful, and to proclaim God's message. And we will let him grow his people. Are you tired of living an apathetic, self-consumed life? God is calling you to a great mission that is bigger than yourself, that when you go on it and you are faithful to it and you trust in his power, you will see things that you could never imagine. Go and be God's messengers, repentant, transformed by the gospel, and recommissioned by God every day. Go on God's mission to those he has put around you, trusting not in your own capacity, but in God's capacity. And share the message, the simple message, Christ and him crucified, the substance being the word of God, and the success being left to the power of God. Earlier this year, staff went to a conference, which I've alluded to several times, so it must have been profitable. But one of the speakers there was a gentleman named Kevin DeYoung. And he talked about what it's like to get up and to preach God's word. And he says, you know, a lot of times it feels like you're shooting spitballs. You know, you get up there and you say the word of God says and, you know, and it's just this meager, you're exhausted, you're tired, you're not sure if anything you're saying is being heard. You just kind of, and hope that something happens. And what we see in God's word is that when we are faithful to go and through our, our confusing words, when we are faithful to share God's message, when we spit that spitball, it lands like an atomic bomb. You blow out the spitball and there is a mushroom cloud. Because the power is not up to you, me. The power is up to God, and he always uses his word. It never returns void. You may remember the passage from Isaiah 55. It says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. This is a promise I cling to every week, every day, that as we share the word of God, that it will accomplish its purposes always. Tim Keller points out that the city of Nineveh was such a great city. Such an ominous city. I already told you about how big the walls were, how high the walls were, how many people were in there. It was such a great and intimidating city that for centuries, no one even imagined attacking the great city of Nineveh. And yet God 
through an army of one, through a spitball shooting Jonah, overtook the entire city. See, God besieged Jonah, and then through Jonah, besieged Nineveh. Listen closely. This is a little bit confusing. I'll repeat it, but never underestimate a capable God to use incapable people to fulfill an impossible mission to change the world. Do you get that? Never underestimate a capable God to use incapable people like ourselves for an impossible mission to change the world. Do you know who the main character is in the book of Jonah? Who is it? It's God. Who's the main character of Genesis? It's God. All the way through Revelations, who's the main character? It's God. Who's the main character of your story, of your mission? Are you living for yourself? Or is the main character in your life God? I want to end with this quote that I saw on Facebook that I so much appreciated. It comes from a book called The Heavenly Man. I've never read it, but here it is. It is not great men who change the world, but weak men in the hands of a great God. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess again that so often we are apathetic towards your mission. And yet today we are reminded and we are recommissioned to go out and be part of your great mission of redemption. It is beyond our abilities, beyond our capacities. We pray, Lord God, that you would give us the strength to be faithful, to go and to share and to trust, not in our own capacity, but in your capacity to transform the world, to redeem the world to yourself. God, as you send us out, into this city, Lord. I pray that we not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word, that we would be so transformed by your love for us that we would tell others. It takes much courage, God, and so we pray, Lord, that you would give us that courage. Lord, as we turn to your supper now, God, we pray that you would set these elements apart, the bread and the juice, God, And they would use them for your holy purpose, God. That you would use them powerfully in our hearts and in our lives, God. To enable us to be faithful to the mission that you have called us to. Lord, I know there are people here who feel so messed up, so overwhelmed by their sin, so overburdened by their life that they think God could not use me. And yet I am so thankful, God, that you use our messiness. That you use our wounds to fulfill a mission so much greater than ourselves. We praise you that you use broken vessels. In Jesus' name, amen.